Well, before our missions emphasis and before Resurrection Sunday, we had started a series talking about voices, not the ones that some people have talking in their heads, but the voices that God has told us about in his word. The word voice is used 450 in 456 verses in the Bible, and the word voice is another 16 times. I started this study after I started thinking about voices after hearing a quote from our Lieutenant Governor Mark Robinson when he said, John the Baptist may have lost his head, but he never lost his voice. And that thought just really struck me that are we using our voice the way God intended us to use it? We've looked at several different messages. One, we studied the significance of the voice, the importance of the distinction of our voice and how to use it for God. We looked at the voice of creation and how creation points to its creator through its voice. The voice of the archangel that will announce the return of Jesus Christ that we all look forward to, I hope, right? And then we also looked at the voice of the one crying in the wilderness as we did examine John the Baptist and how we should example ourselves of one who speaks clearly the truth, unashamedly, unreservedly, and unapologetically to the world today. But this morning, I want us to look at another aspect of our voice. If you take your Bibles and turn to Psalm 142, please, a Psalm of David. And in this Psalm, we're going to look at the voice of prayer. Because while we look at all these other aspects of our voice, the truth is, Christian, you and I have been afforded a great privilege and that you and I can go to the very God of this universe at any time and talk to him. Now, may I challenge all of you who may have not been here for the early morning service, I would seriously ask you to consider being here for every service all of our services are different, and this morning we, I actually preached on prayer as well in our series and continue, and that it is a command of Scripture that we're to continue in prayer, and now I want us to talk about the voice of prayer, and these two messages go together, and so when you miss a service, you're missing a message that God has for us, and so may I just challenge you with that. Now understand the Psalms, these titles of the Psalms are, are very ancient, and many believe that they actually were original part of the Psalms. Now the book of Psalms is different than many of the other books of the Bible, because some books are written in a narrative form, it's somebody telling the account of what happened. Uh, some of them are written in a legal form, but the Psalms is much like our hymn book. So today, when... Ed said, let's all stand and sing. We didn't start on page one and then go to page two and then go to page three because we can pick a song and sing the song, right? Well, so it is with the book of Psalms, which are songs. Now you say, well, wait a minute. There's no rhyme or meter in them. Well, two things. Number one, the Hebrew poetry was not about rhyme and meter like American poetry, poetry is, and they are poems. Number two, they were translated from Hebrew to English, so obviously there would not be rhyme and reader, rhyme and reader, rhyme and meter when you go to a different language. This is going to be a tough one, I can tell, because I can't speak this morning, but it's okay, we're going to make it through. 
So with that said, then, let's look at the title of Psalm 142. It says, Masculine of David, a prayer when he was in the cave. So this is a prayer of David when he is running from Saul, who is seeking to destroy him. Now, often we turn to God when we feel that we are at the end of our rope. But lifting our voice in prayer ought to be the norm for Christians, should it not? So let's go ahead and read Psalm 142, and we're going to read all seven verses. And if you are physically able, if you please stand with me and honor the reading of God's word this morning. Psalm 142, starting at verse 1, David writes, I cried unto the Lord with my voice, with my voice in the Lord did I make my supplication. I poured out my complaint before him. I showed before him my trouble. When my spirit was overwhelmed within me, then thou knewest my path, and the way wherein I walked, had they privately laid a snare for me. I looked on my right hand, and behold, there was no man that would know me, refuge failed me, no man cared for my soul. I cried unto thee, O Lord, I said, Thou art my refuge and my portion in the land of the living. Attend unto my cry, for I am brought very low. Deliver me from my persecutors, for they are stronger than I. Bring my soul out of prison, that I may praise thy name. The righteous shall compass me about, for thou shalt deal bountifully with me. So as we look at this psalm this morning, there are three points regarding the voice of prayer that I want us to examine. First of all, in verses 1 and 2, I want us to see David made his complaint to God. David made his complaint to God, verses 1 and 2. Secondly, David obtained comfort from God, and we'll see that in verses 3 through 5. David obtained comfort from God. And then lastly, in our verses 6 and 7, we'll see David finds confidence in God. You and I need to use our voice to speak to God in prayer, because there's power in prayer. So let us look to the Lord for guidance, please. Father, I pray... Again, Lord, your wisdom, your understanding, your, your words to speak through me this morning. And Lord, that you'd use these eternal truths to speak to these eternal souls. Father, I pray again that Christians would be strengthened, that we would remember the power we have in prayer, and that we would be ones who are constantly praying. And Lord, I pray again for any soul that does not know Christ as Savior this morning. And we'll thank you for it all and be careful to give you the praise for it in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. David made his complaint to God, we see in verses 1 and 2. You see, the Christian's voice needs to be lifted up in prayer. As I said already, we need to be praying often. Psalm 55, 17, evening and morning and at noon will I pray and cry aloud and he shall hear my voice. Are we praying about all things As we're told in Philippians 4, 6, be careful for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known unto God. Now, some of these we elaborated on in the earlier service, so I'm not going to elaborate on those points, but we are to pray about all things. Now, here we have David in distress. David has already been anointed by Samuel, and we'll look at that in just a moment. Yet, He's not sitting on the throne yet. Saul is still king. 
And Saul is absolutely out of his mind, chasing David like a wild dog trying to kill David. So here David is hiding in a cave. Now remember, David was surrounded by a bunch of people. And again, we'll look at more of this in a little bit. But then, you know, one by one, they start leaving him, don't they? And David ends up feeling very alone. You ever been in a place where you just feel like nobody cares anymore? You ever been in a place where it's like, Lord, I'm trying to serve you. I'm trying to do the right thing. But yet it seems like everything's going absolutely wrong. Have you ever gotten to the place where you almost want to question God? Do you not care? But isn't it wonderful that he does? Psalm 18, verse 6, In my distress I called upon the Lord. I cried unto my God. He heard my voice out of his temple, and my cry came before him even into his ears. But here's the problem. We often turn to God in the time of distress, but we forget to go to God in the good times and the bountiful times. Many in this room probably remember 9-11-2001. And I remember that day very vividly. And as I drove to work, I worked second shift at the time. As I was driving to work, driving through Shelby, North Carolina, all kinds of people standing on the street corners, pray for America, pray for America. And churches filled up for quite some time afterward, for a little while afterward, everybody going to church. And they even sang God bless America on the floor of Congress. Remember all that happening? Boy, all of a sudden, our nation is under attack and we better turn to God. But as soon as we figured it out, what did we do? We went right back to the way we were living before. Christian, if we believe that God's word has the answers, and it does, and we believe that there's power in prayer, then why are we not praying for our nation as we ought to be? Why are we not praying for souls as we ought to be? We need to be praying that God would send a revival in our nation. Because apart from that, folks, our nation is doomed. But I believe there's power in prayer, and we need to be taking the needs of our, not just our nation, but of our friends, of our co-workers, of our fellow Christians before the throne of grace. But I, I said in this point that David made his complaint to God. Now let me, under, let me explain complaint, because we think of complaint as someone who gripes and you know, just wants to talk bad about everything. Uh, you know, the Facebook groups, right? They never actually do anything about anything to just complain about everything. And complain about everybody who's doing something because they're doing it wrong, or they will, they will never step up to the plate to do anything different. May I say, if you waste your time on that type of person, you're wasting your time, period, okay? Not as in trying to reach them with the gospel. Obviously, we need to do that. But I'm saying listening to their opinion, because you know how much that opinion matters, really? If somebody's not willing to get up and do something about it, but they just want to complain about it, then I'm sorry, your opinion really doesn't matter much. And I don't mean this to sound arrogant, but if you can do it better, please do, right? So that's not what we're talking about when we talk about complaint, but rather amusing or meditation. In other words, David is taking the severity of his situation before God. Now what we think of as complaining, you'll see translated in Scripture, murmuring. Okay, That's the complaining we think about. And as you look at Israel going through the wilderness, that was the language of the wilderness, murmuring, wasn't it? 
God delivers them from Egypt, they murmur and complain. And we, we see God providing manna, and what do they do? They murmur about it. God provides water, they murmur. Every time they, we see them, that's murmuring, that's complaining. And, it, and there's, there's a good word for it, because doesn't it even kind of sound like it when you say murmur? Murmur, murmur, murmur. You know, that's what people sound like when they're complaining. Murmur, 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 murmur. So that, now you get the difference between the two, okay? But God should be the first one to whom we go. I know this is going to surprise some, but Facebook is not going to solve the situation. So putting it out there on a post on Facebook is not the way to take care of the problem. But too many do that. Why? Because I can say something on Facebook, and I don't have to give all the reasoning behind it or the explanation behind it, but somebody out there is going to give me sympathy and say, oh, poor you. Now I feel better. Well, that didn't resolve anything. If I got a need, or I got a problem, or I got a trial, or I got a struggle, or I need wisdom, why don't I go to the one that can help? Why don't I go to God first? And so here we have David in this cave, running from Saul, and what's he do? He lifts up his voice to God. Why? Because who's going to help David? God will. You know, when we have a situation... We need to take care of the situation as small as possible. In other words, we don't have to go get the whole world involved. You know, if I have a problem with Michael, unless the problem was public and involved others, it should be resolved between Michael and me, right? I shouldn't go over here to Charlie and say, Charlie, I got this problem with Michael, so I'm just coming to you for advice. Well, the Bible already told me how to resolve it. If I have a problem with Michael, I go to him alone, right? I don't go to Charlie asking for advice. I go to Michael alone. Now, if I go to Michael and he says, you know what, I don't care. I'm not listening to you. And I don't care how, the, how you thought this went, but I'm right and you're wrong. Now I go tell Charlie, not because I want to gossip about Mike, but because I take somebody with me and say, hey, he's still wrong, right? And I can show him biblically why he's wrong, but Mike's still refusing to listen because he's, he's just really that stubborn. <laughs> I can pick on him like that. But then Charlie and I go talk to Michael, and Michael listens. Well, then we drop it right there. Again, it's not that I have to say, I want everybody to know that Mike and I had this problem, but we got it resolved. Okay, because that's still gossip. But let me tell you something. If I have a problem with Michael, before I go to Michael, you know who I should go to first? God. Because doesn't it make sense? If I'm a child of God and Michael's a child of God, that I go to our Father and say, Lord, as I approach him, I'm asking you to mediate this situation. I'm asking you to take control and have both of our hearts in tune with you so that we can get this matter resolved quickly. Doesn't that make sense? So we need to go to God first because he always knows your situation. Did you know when you pray, you don't give God any new information that he already didn't know? Because he already knows everything. You say, so why am I praying? I got asked that already before. If God already knows everything, then why should I pray? You're not praying for God's sake. You're praying for your own. You're praying to show your reliance on God. Okay. When my children were younger, and all parents are this way, I think to some degree, you want to do nice things for your children, but sometimes you want to hear them ask, don't you? Right? Any other parent want to hear your children ask? Okay. And then, why would our Father be any different? He wants us to come to Him. 
He has the way to provide. He has the means to provide. But he wants us to show our dependence on him and come to him and ask him for it. Because if, we, if God would just give us without asking, what would our human nature tendency to be? To take credit for it, to be selfish about it, and not to be thankful for it. But I'm glad before we ever come to God, he already knows and he already cares. First Peter 5, 7, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. So David makes his complaint to God. He pours out his soul before God, telling him his situation. But as David is lifting his voice to God, we see he obtains comfort from God. Now, this is still part of his prayer. But verse 3, it says, When my spirit was overwhelmed within me, then thou knewest my path. You ever been in a situation that's just overwhelming? I think we all have, if we're honest with ourselves. Now, here we are thinking of David. You know, David, when we think of David, one of two things typically comes to mind. And this is unfortunate, but when you talk to a young person about David, first thing that comes to mind is Goliath. David, young David, standing before Goliath, when all the soldiers of Saul were cowering, even his own brothers cowering at the presence of Goliath, David says, I'll challenge him. I'll take on this Philistine, this uncircumcised Philistine. Now, David wasn't saying arrogantly, but he's like, this man is defying the armies of the living God. And this again shows the faith of David, his prayer life with God, that he had a trust and a faith and a belief in God, that God would do what he said. And David just happened to believe that God said that he would destroy his enemies and that, they, that, God, that God could use young David to destroy this giant. Now, here's David, a young teenager. For height's sake, let's see, who can we use? All right, come on up here, Harrison. He might be a little bit on the short side, but this will help you get the scale. All right, stand right down there. Nope, on the bottom there. All right, down one more. There you go. Good enough. Goliath was over 10 feet tall. Now, I am five foot seven-ish, and I am 21 inches off the ground, so that's another two feet. So right now, I'm standing, what, a little over seven feet tall? So put three more feet on top of me, okay? And now go ahead and step up one step. That's probably about David. Now, would that be intimidating? You think? And a guy this tall obviously has a larger frame. I mean, the Bible tells us his sword was like a weaver's beam. In other words, this man carried some heavy armor with him. All right, now turn to me. All right, so if I'm standing this tall against this little guy right here. You know what my thought is? As Goliath was, I'm going to squash him like a bug. But you know what this little guy's thinking? I got God on my side. And so he takes not a sword, not a spear. He takes a sling and he puts a stone in it and he starts swinging it round and round and round and round. And he lets that stone fly and pow right in the forehead and Goliath drops. Thank you, you may be seated. How did David, end, was able, David able to do that? Because he lifted his voice in prayer to God many times. He had a trust that God would do what he said he's going to do. Christian, I feel too often we pray this way. 
okay, I'll pray to God because I know I'm supposed to. I'll trust in God because I know I'm supposed to. But I wonder sometimes, do we really believe it that God is going to answer this prayer? You do realize David was, was putting everything on the line, trusting God as he stood before that giant. If God didn't deliver him, he would have been squashed like a little bug. Am I right? Do we have that kind of faith in God? How did David develop that faith? I believe by the time he spent as a shepherd boy out in the fields, the time that he prayed and seeking God and seeing God deliver, as a matter of fact, does he not even give testimony to Saul? Hey, I was out watching the sheep and this bear came by and I just ripped his head off. That's the JKV, the Jim Core version of it, right? And a lion, I did the same thing. Now, how many of you have ever decided I'm going to fight a lion or a bear? Not without a very large rifle, I'm not. Okay, David did it with a stone and a sling. That's where he learned, by the way, to become proficient with that weapon. But David is in this overwhelming situation. But he guides and directs. He says, thou knewest my path. As I already mentioned, 1 Samuel 16, verse 13, Samuel took the horn of oil. Remember Samuel came to Jesse and said, God had told him one of Jesse's boys is going to be anointed king. And so he sees Eliab and he goes, oh, well, of course he's tall, he's strong, he's a nice guy. And so he goes to anoint him. God says, he's not it. And he goes through all the boys and none of them are it. So he has to turn to Jesse and say, Jesse, do you have any more? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I got another one. It's David. But he's out in the field. I mean, that's what his own dad thought of him. And Samuel says, well, I'm not going to sit down till you bring him in. And when, God, when, when uh, David is brought before the presence of Samuel, God tells Samuel, this is the one. And can you imagine all his brothers? David? He's just a puny little kid. What do you mean David? So David's already been anointed king, right? Has David sat on the throne at the point of this psalm being written? The answer is no. Do you think that gave David a little bit of pause maybe? wait a minute, God, I've been anointed to be king, and now I'm running from Saul, who's trying to chop my head off. It could do one of two things. Either it could shake David's faith and say, God, don't you care? You made this promise. Have you abandoned me? Or it could do this. God, you promised, and I know you cannot lie. And I know you're a God who cannot change. Therefore, I'm going to trust you for deliverance because I know I haven't sat on that throne yet and you have had me anointed as king. How do you and I take the promises of God? Are we reassured by the promises that God has given? We need to remember nothing in our life is taking God by surprise. You've all heard the saying, has it ever occurred to you that nothing has ever occurred to God? But then, here David is, hiding in the cave, and he realizes people will let you down. Verse 4, I looked on my right hand and beheld, but there was no man that would know me. Refuge failed me, and no man cared for my soul. In case you haven't figured this out in life, there are many fair-weather friends. When you... And when it's advantageous to be your friend, there's people who will be your friend, but when it's no longer advantageous to be your friend, they won't be. And those same individuals will stab you in the back sometimes. 
David realized these people that were standing with me, they're all gone. Now, before we get surprised by that, did not Jesus himself, one of his own disciples, betray him? We need to be careful putting our trust in men. Psalm 118, verse 8, is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. I have learned in ministry that sometimes the people you invest the most into will be the ones that will hurt you the worst. I've had it happen. And the danger of that is getting to a point of callousness saying, fine, I'm just not going to get close to anybody anymore. And it doesn't matter what position you've had. If you've been a boss, I'm sure it's happened to you. If you've been in politics, it's happened to you. God is our refuge. People are going to let you down. But I love verse 5. He says, I cried unto thee, O Lord. I said, thou art my refuge and my portion in the land of the living. Refuge has the idea of a shelter, a place to hide from the storm during danger. Now, when David was growing up, what was his occupation? He was a shepherd. What is a shepherd's responsibility? Well, as he's leading the sheep, if a storm were to come, what does that do for sheep? Sheep are very easily spooked. You just say boo and sheep are scared, okay? And so he would have to find a safe place for the sheep, a protection, a shelter, a refuge for the sheep. When he sees the storm rising, he can't leave the sheep out there and have the thunder and lightning and everything happening because these sheep would be scattered. They'd be gone. He'd lose the whole flock of them. So he has to take them all and shepherd them into a safe place, whether it be a cave, whether it be under some, some, some kind of uh, structure to shelter them. He has to help protect them, give them refuge during the storm. So David understood what it was protecting others. And now he says, God, you are that refuge for me. When the storm of life comes, God, you are the safe place that I can go to be sheltered from the storm. Do we remember that about our God? When the storms of life come, and they will, and they have, and the trials of life come, do we run to God as our refuge? Because there's a time when all of us just need that shelter, if you will, from the storm. And I am glad God is the God of all comfort. Blessed be the God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 1.3. So if God is our refuge and men will let us down, then let's learn not to put our trust or fear in men, but to fear God. God had to tell Jeremiah, Be not afraid of their faces, for I am with thee to deliver thee, saith the Lord. Some people can be intimidating, can they not? I'll pick on him. He's not here. But how many know Representative Keith Kidwell? Okay, the guy's built like a Mack truck, right? He's big. He's tall. He's really big guy. And just his presence, kind of as I was saying with David and Goliath, he's kind of a little bit Goliathish in that he his presence is somewhat intimidating, right? You all met somebody like that? Now. Honestly, I'm going to let you in on a little secret. He's a teddy bear on the inside, but he, his presence can be intimidating. The problem is that some people use that intimidation to create fear in others. 
or use their position to try to create fear in others. Christian, you and I need to fear God and not men. If God said so, it doesn't matter what people say. If I prayed and I, I know that I've, I've studied the scriptures and what I'm doing is right, it doesn't matter what everybody else is doing. Back when we fought the brunch bill in 2018, I had, there was two of us commissioners that were against it, two that were for it, and one sitting on the fence. And the one sitting on the fence, I tried convincing, don't fear men, but do the right thing. Through a series of circumstances, God led this individual to go talk to a former commissioner. And he asked the guy, he said, what would you do with this vote? He said, I would pass it because it's just going to happen anyhow. And I don't know what gave the man the courage, but he said to him, he goes, would you be proud of that vote? And the former commissioner hung his head and said, probably not. That is what convinced him to make the right choice. He realized what I was trying to say. Don't fear men. Do what's right. Fear God. Trying to teach him the principle, right? And guess what? He voted the right way. And Havelock, you still can't buy your booze until afternoon, so you can get it now when you leave. But you couldn't buy it at 10 o'clock because we didn't change it. Hopefully you're not running out buying it anyhow. But David not only says to God, you're my refuge, but he says, you're my portion in the land of the living. You're my portion in the land of the living. You know, materialism teaches he who has the most toys wins, but wins what? Because eternity without Christ is still hell. Evolution really truly teaches there absolutely is no purpose to life because you're just a blob that just happened by random chance. And so there really is no value to your life. And so if you are weaker or lesser, that we should probably do away with you so that the survival of the fittest will work. You do understand that a lot of the principles in which Hitler applied and several other dictators have applied actually fall legitimately under the teachings of evolution. If you follow evolution to its logical conclusion, I should get rid of all the weak and sickly, and I should get rid of those that are dependent on others because survival of the fittest after all, right? That's what it teaches. Did not Solomon, the wisest man in the world, write the book of Ecclesiastes saying that life apart from God is complete vanity. It's emptiness. It's like chasing soap bubbles. There's nothing to it. There's no purpose in life apart from God. And David recognized that. He says, you are my portion among the living. You know, God gives us a purpose for life. My purpose for living is to serve Jesus Christ. My purpose for living is given to me by God who gave me life. My purpose for living is not for self, not for pleasure, not for entertainment, but it's for the glory of God. David recognized that, did he not? And he found comfort in these things. So we see David makes his complaint to God. He pours his heart out to God. He cries to God, raising his voice to him. And in doing so, he obtains comfort from God. And then lastly, we see David finds his confidence in God. Verse 6, attended my cry, for I am brought very low. Now, I mentioned earlier that two things we think of of David. Most children think of David and Goliath. But when you mention David to adults, unfortunately, many adults, the first thing that comes to mind is David and Bathsheba. A low point in David's life. 
a point when David took his eyes off of God, when it says the kings went to war and he knew he was supposed to be going out to battle, but David chose to stay home because after all, he is king and he can live a little bit of luxury. He deserves a little bit, right? And now what the world teaches? You deserve a break. You deserve some rest. You deserve the, what, what feels good to you. And look at where that ended up for David. But I will say... For the most part of David's life, he was a sinner like you and I, but for the most part of David's life, he realized the weakness of the flesh. He realized his inability and relied on God's ability. How many do you actually know that say, I have brought very low? They would admit that they don't have strength. You know, here we are with election season again, and it is sad how many candidates... When they talk to you, talk as though they walk on water, and there's actually one out there, and yes, I probably shouldn't say this, but I'm going to from the pulpit anyhow. There's actually one out there that that's part of his speech, which I feel is blasphemous, but we'll move on. Too often we find our confidence in self. David's confidence was in God. He recognized his own inability. He was willing to admit his lowly estate. But verse 7 well, let's, I'm sorry, go back to verse 6. For I am brought very low. Deliver me from my persecutors, for they are stronger than I. Listen, when we feel that the world is stronger than us, we need to remember greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. But God gives the deliverance. Verse 7, bring my soul out of prison. David is hiding in this cave. It seems like it's a prison. It seems like there's no end to this relentless chase by Saul, who keeps chasing him and chasing him, and, and God keeps delivering him. But here, David, you know, that had to be weary after a while. And as he's praying to God, he's asking God for deliverance. But beyond just asking God for deliverance, he believes God is going to deliver him. And they, Christian, you and I need to pray with faith, believing God is going to hear and answer our prayers. God will deliver from the trial. He did deliver David, and David did sit on the throne as king, did he not? And then he says, The righteous shall compass me about, for thou shalt deal bountifully with me. God gave the grace for endurance. 2 Corinthians 12, 19, he said unto me, When Paul went to God and asked for the thorn in the flesh to be removed from him three times, the answer came back to Paul, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. So David says, in the middle of verse 7, I may praise thy name, that I may praise thy name. He continues to praise God because it doesn't matter our circumstances. Praising God doesn't depend on things going well for me. He deserves my praise all the time. Psalm 106, verse 1, Praise ye the Lord, O good thanks in the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. And my circumstances don't change the goodness of God. They don't change the mercy of God. I can praise God in all situations. But David had the confidence that God would deliver him. He says, thou shalt deal bountifully with me. Despite the discouragement, David still knew he could trust God. And so, Christian, as we talk about the voice of prayer, do we realize that I can still trust God no matter what's going on? Because God has promised that there's nothing going to happen in my life that he's not allowed for my good. Now, it might not be pleasant at the time, but God knows what is best for me. So we can lift our voice in praise, and we need to lift our voice in prayer. I sometimes don't understand the way that not 
that the way that we downplay prayer. Say, what do you mean? Well, most of you know that, I'll just give you this as an example. Many governing bodies, when they start their meeting, will open with prayer, but the Board of Commissioners of Havelock, North Carolina is not one of them. We open with a moment of silence. And the reason being is that our board, the majority of our board, and I say that because you know which two or not, is scared of a lawsuit for praying in public. But there have been many times when our meetings have gone sideways, and I just sometimes sit there and wonder, wonder how different this would have been if we would have stopped and asked the God of heaven for direction before we started. Would we be sitting in the mess we're sitting in right now? Because I believe prayer works. And I believe there's sometimes when our meetings go sideways that God allows it because you know what? We never ask for his direction. And it's men using humanistic logic to try to figure things out and it ends up always going sideways. But is not the heart of the king in the hand of God? If we prayed for guidance, don't you believe that God could change some minds sometimes and things could run more smoothly? Now, if that's true for a city meeting, then let me ask you, when you have a decision in life, are you lifting up your voice in prayer? You want to make car salesmen upset. When you go to look at that car, they're going to convince you that if you don't buy this car right now, it's going to be gone. You tell them, you know what? I'm not making any decision until I go home and I pray about it. Now, don't just say it. Do it. They have a hard time arguing with it. But the point being this, do we pray about all things? When you get up in the morning, as the psalmist said, morning, evening, and noon, I pray. Do you wake up thanking God for another day that he's given you? Do you thank him for the life that he's given you? The blessings that you have of having a, uh, a bed to sleep in? You know, you wake up, you go to the kitchen, you have a full refrigerator. Do you thank him for it? As you read his word, do you stop and thank God for the privilege of he revealing himself in the Bible and we get to read it? Do you pray for your family? Do you pray for lost souls? Do you pray for your other church members? Do you pray for those in elected offices? Do you pray for... It doesn't matter what the situation is. But let me tell you something. If you are a man or woman of prayer, others will notice. And others will come to you and ask you, would you mind praying about such and such a situation? Let them hear you lift your voice in prayer right there. But let's learn the power we have, Christian, in prayer. Prayer moves the hand of God. And part of the reason why we see our nation where it is today, why we see the church is where it is today, is because we become apathetic in our prayer lives. We need to be as David, who had a confidence, not in self, but in God. Why? Because David was a man who prayed. He trusted God. He found his comfort in God. He was able to bring his situation to God, his complaint to God, knowing God would hear him. He's still the same God. He wants to hear you coming to him in prayer. If you're here this morning and you say, you know, I heard you earlier talking about being saved. Maybe you're not one who knows Christ as Savior. You say, what does that even mean? 
the truth is, is every one of us was born separated from God. Every one of us is a sinner. We inherited that from Adam, our father, who decided to use his free will against God and willfully sin against him. Thereby, every one of us is born with a sin nature separated from God. And there's nothing in us good enough we can do to save ourselves. But Jesus Christ came, the Son of God, became man, lived a perfect sinless life, and he died on the cross of Calvary, was buried, rose again the third day for you and for me. Last week we celebrated Resurrection Sunday. But every week we should be celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ because it's through the power of the resurrection we have the ability to become the sons of God. We, we can become the children of God. We can be adopted into his family at what we call salvation or being born again. When we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ and realize that we, there's nothing in myself that I can do to save myself, but Jesus already paid the price on the cross at Calvary, shedding his blood for me, and I put my faith in his finished work, I can be saved. It'd be wonderful if you're not saved today to hear one lifting their voice, crying out to God, saying, Lord, save me. And I can promise you this, he will answer that prayer. But those of us that are saved, do we still cry out to God in prayer? Let us bow for a word of prayer.